Hi. Welcome to the Literacy Landscapes podcast. I'm your host, Johanna. On Literacy Landscapes, we re-examine literacy theory and watch it in action today. We'll give you an inside look into the classroom and take you outside to where play and practice meet. It is such a pleasure and an honor to introduce our guest for today. Naomi Vladek is an incredible creative coach, consultant, and writer. Naomi, I'm so happy to have you on today. What would you like the audience to know about you? Sure. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasant surprise to be here with you. Um, Yeah, so I'm a creativity coach, which really means that I'm a life coach, and I focus my uh, work on artists, mostly women in mid-career and later, who have gone through some kind of big change or, or are provoking a big change or have an opportunity that they want to move through and transform in some way. So a big change happens and they don't know what next step to take. So they're in this sort of liminality. We talked a lot of liminality during COVID. And I don't think we ever mentioned that word before COVID, but we talked about it a lot after COVID. And what it really means is um, not knowing, not really knowing what to do, uh, how to be, uh, what's coming next. And for some and people, and I include myself among them, um, we tend to get afraid of change. And most of the women and, and clients who come to me are really on that precipice of wanting to hold a bigger vision for themselves, but also feeling somewhat stuck in what came before. So they're kind of grappling with letting go and moving through a really uh, a creative process of transformation so that they can move toward becoming who they're meant to be in their lifetime. Yeah. I love this concept of moving toward this, this vision of themselves and who they want to be. And just think this yeah. is, uh, this concept of transformation is so exciting. So I, I really want to hear all about it and, yeah. and what it evokes in you in terms of, you know, the literacies of that. So yes. um, when I talk about literacy, I'm referring to everything that involves reading, writing, speaking, um, listening, and uh, and all of the above. And, and on that note, for me, I think, you know, we always think about childhood stories or, or stories in general. Um, and I'd love to hear, is there a story that was read to you or a story that you're reading now? Um, it could even be a fairy tale, a song, something that has special meaning to you that you'd like to share with the audience. Well, the first thing that came to mind, I think it has a lot to do with voicing yourself, is I, I took a class with my mom on singing on the natural voice. And it was so interesting. I sang the Itsy Bitsy Spider and I sang it. Uh, I have, you know, I have a theater background, so it wasn't hard for me to sing, but what really touched me was how emotional it was for everyone in the room to vocalize and language on on notes and on sound. And it kind of just gave a direct access to this portal of emotion um, that was really because they could be vulnerable on a prolonged note more more than in in sentence structure language and so I I love the itsy bitsy spider actually it came to mind when you're talking because um there are these you know my my hope for people is to consider change in small steps because we tend to avoid risk (laughs) and when we make a mountain out of risk 
it's harder to imagine getting anywhere. So this time, this tiny little spider like crawling up the, the web step by step is sort of a great metaphor for all of us because it really is just one small step at a time so that we can find the proof that we're gonna be okay if we move incrementally forward. Um, and then if we sing along the way, we may even heal some of our own wounds. <laughs> I really love that for me. I have a music background, but I also agree with you. And I see this from my own practice in the classroom, right? It could be overwhelming to tell a teacher, like change all of these things. And, you know, just taking it, breaking it down into smaller steps can feel so much more manageable. Um, and so I, I, I love this concept that you're, you're talking about brave, braving creativity. And I, this mm -hmm. has been so inspiring to me as I finished my dissertation. You, you don't realize it, but you've been a little bit of a cheerleader to me unofficially because your message is so important. And it, it reminds me of one of my favorite books is The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And she has this idea of like recovering a sense of safety. Like I have a tendency to self-doubt and to stop myself and to have these like really exciting ideas and then go, oh, no one's going to like them. Or, oh, I don't know where to get started. Maybe I won't. And so tell me a little bit about this, this bravery and how it connects to creativity. Mm. Yeah. So what you said is is very common. We have a, a a vision. We have a sense of longing for something. Like our heart knows that um, there's more in store for us. But when we imagine it becoming a reality, we can overcome limiting thoughts. And underneath those limiting thoughts are old beliefs. You know, contracts that we signed when we were little that you know don't be too big, um, or else you know, or else. And when you're a little kid, the or else can be really scary. So the, the way our brain works is that it doesn't really know time in the way that an adult knows time. So our fear, when our fear is triggered, it's really, really deep. It's like a really, it's really connecting to the older parts of us, the younger parts longer ago that still feel afraid on a visceral level. They still sense a tiger in, in the woods, you know? And so what we have to do as we move through is take these small steps and find the proof of our courage along the way, because we know it's there. You know, you've raised children, you are in the world fully capable, you've just finished a PhD, like there really isn't anything you can't do. The proof is already in the pudding, but the story that our, our unconscious tells us is that it's dangerous. And we really have to understand our relationship to threat because there's a, you know, when we think, oh, I'm not enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm, you know, uh, it's not worth it, never mind. It's usually because we feel somehow that something is lacking, that there's a, you know, you heard about like a scarcity mindset and the negativity bias that's generally part of how we operate as humans to keep us safe. Um, needs to be repatterned and retrained so that we have, you know, that we really do have a new belief or new thoughts that we can install. And that means being in choice. So the only way to make change happen is to become aware. So you might say, well, I'm going to do this thing and never mind. The first thing to do is just notice that thought that says, don't bother. And once you can just get curious about that, you can start to imagine bringing to consciousness um, a willingness to try to do things differently. 
I love the, you know, this concept of reframing our choices, right? Um, and and that that is, that can be really daunting, but, and this concept of like reframing our, our concept of threats. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I can right now just hearing this, I'm like, oh, I can think of 800 different things, right? Potential threat. Like they won't like it or it's not a good idea. I mean, I can just look without question. So what's, what are, I don't, I, you know, what steps yeah. or, or what, what do we do? Yeah. I mean, I love it. It's, you know, it's a practice. I love the first thing you said when you opened this up was the two words that, that you said that really resonated was play and practice. And I think those are exactly the words that need to be, or just the mantra you can say, well, what is, how can I approach this and play with my options? And how can I put that play into practice? Because the fact is, if we just start berating ourselves for not being more aware, for not, you know, you know, making a, a more conscious choice, then we're sort of defeating the purpose, which is to, um, as you said so beautifully, is to create a enough safety, enough approval, enough security in our own um, sort of big S self, you know, that this self that we're carrying in the world can take care of all the parts that are still hurting or still afraid and really just being you know being aware but being aware with a huge amount of compassion and that's where the play comes in because play means we're going to try something it may not work it may be messy it may fall flat it may be fantastic and when it's fantastic i may feel some shame or weirdness you know we just don't know so we have to be really excited and curious about our human nest, you know, because we are holding a big enough vision. So when I work with clients, they're usually coming to me because they have a big enough vision to be willing to risk change or they're, they've had enough suffering. So, so what we want to do is to fill the vision cup as much as possible. And part of filling that cup is putting language, new language to the vision like most of us haven't actually articulated what it is we want. Most women don't even think about our own feelings and needs to begin with. Like, what is That's a feeling? So true. Is there a need attached to that feeling? What would be lovely? What would be delicious? What, what do I long for? Like, let's answer those and put new language there. So like, that's a great place to start. And then again, it's just noticing all the parts that activate, especially, and you which you said you know, so wonderfully, which is this, like as soon as we're about to embark on some kind of shift in pattern, our fear, you know, the beliefs underneath our fear marshal, you know, and I hate to use war metaphor, but an army of thoughts that just they're waiting and hanging out until we try to do something differently. And then all these thoughts, like you said, a million thoughts, like I shouldn't do it now. I'm not enough. I'm, I'm too smart. I'm too small. I'm too big, I'm too large, I'm too short, I'm too, whatever, you know, I'm too, too, or not enough. And there's a shortage of those thoughts. So what we just have to do to disarm them is to just welcome them. Um, there's a meditation teacher I love, Tara Brock, who uses a, a story, an anecdote about inviting your fear to have tea with you. So it's like, you're inviting that scared part. You're inviting that critical part. You're inviting the cranky voice in. You're saying, you know, have a seat. Tell me what's bothering you. Um, and 
um, allowing them to have some space without fueling their fear and getting curious about those parts. And a lot of that work should be, you know, can be done with another person, especially if it's going into some places where you need to be accompanied. But more often than less, we, we just want to start to make the connection so that we are going from unconscious operation to conscious creatorship. And so much of that has to do with language. There's just no way around it. You got to find the new words and practice using the word. So I say play and practice for sure. That's That comes up in the book a lot as two skills that artists in particular bring to periods of uncertainty in between um, change and who they're becoming. Gosh, I love this concept of new words because you're right. I have this internal monologue and I'm using the same language over and over yeah. again and you know, trying out new words, trying out new ideas. Um, that's kind of, I never thought about it that way. I really love it. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is I have, you know, vocabulary can, you know, working in the arts, vocabulary can mean different things. There's dance vocabulary, there's arts vocabulary, there's performance art vocabulary, there's writerly vocabulary. And actually what prompted the thought for this book, the creative thought for this book was my own performance work. I, my husband died seven years ago. And prior to that, I had a, have a degree um, in performance studies. And I learned to take my theater background and write my own confessional narratives that I would perform in the tradition of, of performance art. And it was really transformative because I was a really pleasing child. I was the kid, a parentified child who didn't like to rock the boat. And I did not use certain words. You know, no, Naomi did not use certain words, <laughs> words that would make me blush. I didn't use those. I didn't use them in private and I didn't use them in public. Um, but I did begin to use them when I wrote performance because it was a place where I could express my anger. I could uh express my sexuality i could express my grief i could say things that i couldn't say in in normal conversation um and i could explore the impact of that so that was a way of me playing and practicing um new language and so after he died about two years or so after i wrote i began to write more pieces and perform them and i thought wow that's brave <laughs> so the wow, book sort of amazing. came out of that it, it came out of that wow. because so many artists face change and the period of uncertainty that follows by walking right headlong into the discomfort so a woman has a cancer diagnosis uh marriage is you know struggling and and nearly ending an accident changes an artist's trajectory maybe forever someone dies you know and what what now and so so many artists use whatever vocabulary they have to grapple with what really can't be said so there's this sort of language of oh I understand you you know you're using words I understand language I'm speaking English to you but then there's also I could be speaking any language to you it could be another language from another part of the world it could be a physical language and the resonance of it will be felt by you so there are ways to communicate in language in, in multiple languages that can be connecting and I think that is the goal is to connect to ourselves and connect to others 
to abolish the illusion that we're disconnected because fear wants to keep us disconnected from ourselves and from others. And I think that's what's brave about using creativity when we don't know what else to do. So play and practice, I think, are brilliantly the two most um, accessible to everyone. And my, my thesis in the book is that artists have a facility with those tools. Wow, you just said so much. <laughs> That's incredible. And and the 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 fact that you use performance uh as a, a form of empowerment is is so powerful. Uh, unbelievable. I'm amazed. Um and I love that you talked about and something that I always think about is the spoken but also the unspoken literacies. So you know, how does that relate to the the language of, of writing, of uh, exploring creativity? Tell me a little bit about like the unspoken. Did you uncover mm. anything in your interviews? Yeah, so, you know, resistance is what comes to mind. I think resistance is the experience of what is not said. <laughs> so when when, you know, I have one artist who really was struggling with what she called denial, like not letting anybody help her because she had a belief that asking for help was weak. Um, and that belief came directly from her mother who was traumatized and sort of said, you can't trust anybody, so take care of yourself. But when she really needed help, she just could not let it in until the threshold for her suffering was so extreme that she realized that she had to surrender and allow someone to help her and because it was getting in the way of her healing and um so i think what's what's unspoken is really what can cause us to suffer and the only relief and release to that is to express it and you know i have another artist who uses uh, she's a choreographer and there is a lot of spoken word in her uh, performance. And what's coming to mind is this amazing performance, almost like it's a spoken word section and it's just so powerful. The piece is called Boom. And it's called Boom because when you're given something that changes everything, it's like obliterates anything that came before and it, it reveals the unspoken and unsaid. It's like, oh, I didn't realize, I believe that if I did everything right, that, you know, somehow everything would unfold love, you know, just perfectly in my life. I didn't realize that it had nothing to do with me, that if I got cancer, it wasn't because I did something wrong or that the world doesn't owe me a healthy life because I was a good girl growing up and I went to church and I did all the right things. So I think there's, there's something about that the gift of big change is that it reveals what's been unsaid. It just, it, it begs for vulnerability. It begs for change and, and, and um, really um, honest, an honesty showing up really, really like, hey, I, I don't know. I'm really going to just allow for time to unfold here and be curious about what's next. So I think that once we stop trying to control the outcome of things, the unspoken has room, <laughs> it has room to like show up. 
otherwise it's like we cover it up with all our busyness really gosh you're so wise oh my gosh <laughs> this is so true I you know at every turning point of big change I have like reflecting on myself tried to control put everything in a box make it all perfect and you know okay I can grieve for this amount of time and then I got to get back to work and I have to you know and the truth is that's not I don't know. I guess it's not healthy and, and it can create barriers. I, yeah, 100%. Well, it's, it's so true. I love that you brought up grief because I have, there's a story in the book of a woman who um, her father died, his beloved father. And a friend of hers said, you know, don't miss this opportunity to grieve. Um, and she was avoiding grief because she felt that it was inconvenient for other people around her. And she felt bad about that. Like she had a loving boyfriend who wanted her to be like the cheer, you know, she missed the way she was before, but for, for a while before it doesn't exist anymore. It may never will again. So she really decided it's, I really have to honor this time because it, it won't last forever. It's a precious moment and I need to give it the space that it deserves even if it's inconvenient for other people. And I think that's, that's pretty brave. I know for myself, I felt that grief, especially in the early stages of grief, you're, there's a specialness to it where you're closer to the memory of the person than you are later and that you don't want to miss it. It's almost like you don't want to miss that opportunity to be with your grief because there's an opportunity to learn so much in there if we can slow down. And those artists in the book who are grieving will share really lovely ways that they dove into their grief like uh, one artist uh, really didn't know what to do like she couldn't even barely hold a pencil and she was a playwright so she started just by taking snippets of her day and writing a few sentences on a private Instagram account with a photo of her moving like she's also a trapeze artist in addition to being a playwright and Wow. She did a journal for 194 days until she wrote a piece of dialogue for the first time again after after the um, the uh, breakup of a, of uh, her relationship after 10 years. So these are just interesting. Like I think the stories are meant to give you a window into these various ways that artists navigate trans transition. Um, for its creative potential. Uh, that that that's incredible. Yeah, for mm -hmm. definitely losing losing my father uh, seven years ago was very much uh, mm -hmm. very difficult and transformative, and mm -hmm. um, and it's still transformative, right? It's a process, mm -hmm. and it's not linear. I learned, you know, people like to say there are these stages, but I, you know, I again like be, putting things into a box just isn't the uh, the human. It's not human to um, perfectly place, you know, our emotions, our memories, our feelings. And actually like the, this podcast is actually very much inspired um, by my father who was a contractor. Um, and he, you know, he knew all this language. He was an electrician and a plumber and 
you know, he taught me like as a young lady, he wanted to make sure I knew about cars. So like I would know, I can walk into a gas station and get my car fixed and no one can pull the wool over my eyes. I could say, no, I don't need tie rods put into my car, right? Like, so he gave me the language. So that's uh, very much one of the precipitating factors for me wanting to continue to explore this topic. Language is empowering in many ways. That's it. That's the word I was looking for. It's so empowering. It's another, you know, when you say that word, another thing I think of that's key to my sort of transformational work with, with artists is, is connecting and collaborating with other people inside of your change process. So there are things that we face alone and there is so much to be garnered from other people and from connecting in every kind of way you can. So when I'm going through a big change process, I shore myself up like crazy. I've got, you know, the podcast feeding me all the positive. Then I have, you know, the groups that I belong to and my therapist and I am writing and I'm, you know, processing in all these different ways because to make a shift it, to, to brave the, the stuff you have to look at to transform your relationship to your fear, not to get rid of your fear, but to transform your relationship to it, takes a lot of effort and repatterning. It's not just as simple as wanting. Um, and it requires a lot, it really benefits from a lot of support. But certainly when I'm talking about making creative projects like you finishing a dissertation or writing this book or creating a performance piece um play and practice are absolutely served when you're in the company of other people there's no question about it because this is hard work and most people don't want to change and there's it's this kind of to do right it's safer to to stay in with what you know yeah status quo is king to a human brain and those of us who really know that there's more for us to uncover about ourselves and really are willing to do that hard work benefit from other people who are willing to do that work too because it is so hard and also it can be incredibly fascinating and fun i like to have a lot of fun with my clients because once you've sort of moved through that threshold and have a relationship you have a way a methodology um to work with your fear, it, it becomes, you're more consciously in charge. <laughs> so it's not like someone else is running the show. When, when other parts are running the show, of course, you're going to be confused and scared and sad and all these things. Um, but when you are um, willing to shift from avoidance, procrastination, um, self-criticism, inertia, all of it, you are you're better positioned to enjoy the process of of change even when it's painful because you know it's not it's not forever you know you know where you are in a process you said the word process it is a process there is a beginning middle end and end so when you really know that hey i'm i just had a change or i've just provoked a big change i've left a job i've accepted a position as head of so and so you are on an arc. It's like an, it's an upside down bell curve. You're, you're now on a journey. So you're going to go from, you're going to have feelings in the beginning that are scary and resistant. And then you're going to start to move up or down and around to 
engagement and creativity and excitement until you're in a, a state of flourishing and dancing with uncertainty. It doesn't mean we stop feeling fear. We, we don't. Fear is an important emotion. We don't want to get rid of it, but we want to be able to move with it. And as we get more facile with it, we are more efficient generally with the, the lows and the highs that we experience when we don't know where we are. So it's nice to know where you are in a process of transition because most of us, especially at our age, aren't going through just one. There's usually more than one. You know, a parent is ill, children are going to school. You know, there's many going on at once and it does help to know that you're in a process. Wow, that's amazing. And kind of leads to my next question so beautifully, which is what can the audience do to take that first step? What is one mm. step that that can get us into that direction to emerge, yeah. if you will. Well, I think um, if you are feeling a kind of urgency to change something, or you've just gone through a big change um, and you feel uncertain or you feel lost or confused, um, you know, I think it's great to partner with someone who can help you move through uh, to get some clarity about this idea that you are somewhere, like you're actually somewhere and it has a purpose. So one thing is just to know that you can't skip over steps. <laughs> you're going to have to feel the feelings that you're having now. But I think really awareness is key, slowing down and becoming aware that you are not your thoughts and that if you can just start to attune with awareness that thoughts are happening all the time. And you can start to just notice. I think that's the first smallest thing you can do is just notice your thoughts as thoughts, like clouds passing in a sky and sit with that and see what comes up in your body as you start to notice the thoughts. And there are many tools out there for bringing compassion to yourself as you start to go through a process where you start to build your awareness because you're opening up um, to a way of being curious about yourself that you may not have explored before, which means that you're going to open up those little portals of grief. And you just want to be able to hold that. So it's, it's not just one small thing. It's a little bit of a dance there where it's like an awareness that you're opening up to and then noticing the feelings. That's it. And then play, play is that other piece where you just start to play with options. So you try something really small that, that will help you sort of gently test. Is this true? Is it all true? This thing I think about, I'm not capable of ever writing anything because I'm no good. Like I had, I had an artist, I have an artist in the book who he, a college professor rejected her from a writing class even though she knew she was a good writer, she never wrote again until, until something blew up her life as she knew it. And she, her heart called her to write her story. And she did. And now it's a published play and, you know, a, 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 it's being produced um, as a show on a cable network. But, you know, she, did, she wasn't ever going to write before that because she had a story that if she wrote she might be bad at it and she couldn't be bad 
So it wasn't even about being a bad writer. Underneath that was a belief that I I can't be bad, and the and I can't be bad because you know there's something else there for her. What and so that's what you want to start trying to understand. So question the truth of these thoughts that you're having. Are they all true? Is there something else as or more true than those thoughts? But you're not gonna be able to do that until you can notice them. So slowing down and just noticing your thoughts is a great place to start. You've given us so much wise (laughs) advice. You've given me a lot to chew on. I'm so grateful. Our guest is Naomi Vladek. Um, and stay tuned for a book, an upcoming yes. book that's going yes. to be published. Yes, coming out now, probably uh, late July to 2023. Working title is Braving Creativity, Artists That Turn the Scary, Thrilling, Messy Path of Change into Courageous Transformation. Um, still, still may change, <laughs> but that's the title right now, yeah. I'm so excited. I can't wait to read it. And uh, so grateful that you joined us. So thank you so much, Naomi. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. For more information about Naomi Vladek's work and her upcoming book, visit www.bravingcreativity.com. That's www.bravingcreativity.com. Thank you so much, Naomi Vladek. And thank you all for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Literacy Landscapes podcast. Looking forward to seeing you on the next episode. Big shout out to my son, Max, and his amazing guitar teacher, James, for the theme song you're listening to today. Take care. Bye.